Welcome to the panel discussion, Innovation in Government, Cyber Leaders on Cloud Security, sponsored by Carasoft. Here's today's moderator, J.J. Green. Welcome and thanks for joining us. The cloud, we know what it is and we know what it's supposed to do. But in addition to the many advantages, the cloud comes with problems. And in an era when most of us and most everything is in the cloud somehow, the number of threats, risk, and other problems multiply daily, especially for government agencies and private companies working with them. My guests today are Jonathan Fibus. He's the Chief Information Security Officer with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Andre Mendez, he's the CIO, the Chief Information Officer at the International Trade Administration Bureau, Department of Commerce. Katie Lewin, Federal Director, Cloud Security Alliance. And Ned Miller, he's the Public Sector Business Unit Sales Executive for MVision Cloud at McAfee. Thanks for being with us, and I'd first like to start off with you, uh, Jonathan. Would you just put in context what we're facing now, not to scare anyone, but just put into context what we're looking at now when we talk about cloud security. When we talk about cloud security, we're talking about all of the agency's data that they use to, uh, that we use to conduct our mission, and we want to make sure that that data is protected appropriately uh, for confidentiality, integrity, and availability. To do that, we go through a number of processes that the National Institutes for Standards and Technology have outlined for us to classify our data, to ensure that um, we are protecting it appropriately. And it's easy to do that when you're holding on to the data in your own data center, in your own computers, at your own locations. When you send it out to the cloud, you have to be a little more trusting um, so you have to understand what controls are in place in the cloud, what controls do I need to have in place when I get my data from my location to the cloud, and how do I ensure that my data is appropriately protected and I can ensure that it's managed appropriately. And that's precisely where I wanted to go with this. This is all about control. Uh, the number of apps that are out there, you know, to achieve that control, the, the process that's out there, um, also, um, the culture of the control process. It's a new business process, as it's been explained to me as I've researched this. So I'm looking for some, quest some answers on, 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 on a number of questions, to a number of questions regarding um, what are the best practices for maintaining uh, cloud security for your organizations and what are the latest tools um, that are out there. And uh, Andre, I want to go to you to see what your thoughts are on that couple of questions there. Um, talk to us about the best practices and tools that are out there to achieve what you see as necessary from the beginning of any kind of uh, control process when it comes to cloud security. Um, so I, I come from a slightly different perspective. Um, my, uh, my bureau, uh, the International Trade Administration Bureau, is actually the only agency slash bureau that is 100% cloud already. Uh, and so uh, for us, uh, we had to make a substantial number of decisions over the last couple of years uh, to make sure that we are doing the right thing. But, you know, philosophically, uh, you know, we have come to the conclusion that the, uh, the security posture that vendors whose uh, entire business line depends uh, on uh, the security of their cloud operations uh, and their FedRAMP certification um, are far better equipped than any particular agency or bureau uh, to, to really bring to the table the best set of uh, tools, the best set of um, practices, the best set of individuals, because for them, uh, breaches uh, can spell disaster, absolute disaster. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, you know, security professionals uh, are, um, are very expensive and difficult to hire these days uh, mm -hmm. because there's such huge demand. And um, I, I felt like this at my previous agency at the Broadcasting Board of Governors, and I feel like that at the, at the ITA, where there's no way that I could ever compete for the talent that I would need in order to really secure my, uh, my organization's assets to the utmost. And so we are big proponents of uh, the FedRAMP certification. We've actually helped a couple of vendors go through FedRAMP certification and got them certified. Um, but, uh, but when it comes down to securing the data of my bureau slash agency, uh, I am going to believe that the people whose livelihood depends on it are going to be, be far better equipped than I am. 
That's a very interesting point you bring up, Andre, because not long ago I was talking with the head, or sorry, the Deputy Supreme Allied Commander of NATO Transformation, which is based in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, Admiral Manfred Nielsen is his name. And he said the exact same thing. NATO's biggest problem is data security. And their second biggest problem is competing for the talent that's necessary to do what they need done looking out at the future. So <laughs> they're, they're faced with a situation where they're not quite sure how they're going to manage or to get there. So Katie, I'd like to go to you to see what your thoughts are on exactly that problem. Um, you know, you know what needs to be done. You know, in some ways, how it needs to be done, but then getting the folks to make sure it's done the way that it's necessary to make sure that it's being done properly is really difficult. So what's your approach? So I was the first director of FedRAMP. So um, I worked at GSA, but I worked closely with Vivek Kundra, who was the first um, federal CIO. And we did FedRAMP, and we set up the infrastructure of FedRAMP with three government employees and 10 contractors. That's all we had. Then we had volunteer help from the CISO community. They really helped us go through the um, controls that are listed in FISMA and that are applicable. They picked the ones that they thought were most applicable to ensuring security of applications in the cloud. So I think that the recruitment um, thing that you could say to young people who are security professionals is if you're in the government, you get to do cool stuff. I mean, Contractors execute the cool stuff, but you are the ones who begin the policy, begin the environment to allow those kinds of things to grow and mature. So we are never probably in the federal government going to turn over the answer to the question, what should we do next? We might ask for advice from the um, private sector, but in the federal sector, they are the ones who are basically the ones who are you know, setting the tone. So in a way, I think that my, maybe my example is a good one. I went back and forth between private sector and government. That's a really fun thing to do, and it really gives you exposure on both sides. But the government sets the tone. The private sector can bring the technical, managerial, what you know, security expertise to that problem. But really, it's the government's um, choice or job to define the problem. And. <laughs> How would you characterize the success or lack thereof in doing that these days? Um, well, I'm not in the government anymore, but... Um, yeah, it, I know, but yeah. I'm interested think, because you're not in the government. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm interested because I think you would probably give us a, uh, a very candid answer. My reputation precedes me. Um, yes, I will give you a candid answer. I think that what has been said earlier, that it's hard to recruit and attract the people who have the right experience to be government employees is difficult. However, this is a little, maybe a little off the track, but because the pension system has changed, all right? So in the past, there was a big incentive for people to stay in the government forever because, you know, you were guaranteed a pension. Now it's more a 401k idea and you can go in and out. In my opinion, that should be something that should be um, promulgated to potential candidates that you can see issues from both sides, which is extremely helpful and actually valuable to both members or both sides of the table. Mm -hmm. Getting back to the crux of the cloud security issue and to one of the people that I've found in conversating with you to be um, just uh, a very good, uh, clear-minded, clear-eyed professional when it comes to talking about these things, uh, and it's not just uh, the easy questions, but the difficult ones too. Ned, I want to ask you, um, how's this going? That's the first question I want to ask you. How is this going? And secondly, then I want to get your thoughts on what agency need, agencies need to consider before getting into the cloud, putting their systems into the cloud. But first, how are things now? Sure, so JJ, from my perspective, and I've been a student of FedRAMP since 2009. Katie and I were just talking about it. It's been a decade since the FedRAMP initiative uh, has been launched. <clears throat> I would submit that based on my interaction with a number of agencies that we're about halfway where we'd like to be ultimately. So making steady, reasonable progress, but there's still a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. 
um, on the federal civilian side. On the federal DOD side, as it relates to the cloud, they had talked about moving to the cloud actually first, but there are laggards in terms of execution. Uh, so DOD is just getting started in terms of their overall clouds uh, investment strategy going forward. Now, is that, a, is that a problem, just getting started? <laughs> it is. Um, there's a number of issues aside from the uh, classic ones that the industry likes to talk about. So we all talk about the cybersecurity barriers to entry as it relates to moving to the cloud and trust. Data security is another major impact. But we can work our way through those because, as we've talked about on the panel, NIST has provided some guidance with respect to the how-to. It's usually what we refer to as the layer eight, the politics, the mm -hmm. policies and the decision makers that have to overcome some of the existing uh, policies that exist with respect to things like automation. We've talked about uh, the workforce as an example and having a number of skilled resources to be able to manage into this new cloud frontier, if you will. The reality is automation will play a key pl uh, uh, position in this overall. And as a result, some of the existing policies are going to have to change. So we're going to have to begin to trust the automation because we will never scale in terms of number of workforce resources we need to manage and secure all of the new technology that's coming to the forefront. Now, um, Jonathan, the question that we've been kind of getting at here is how things are going. And he mentioned something regarding the, um, the process of getting started late as he mentioned about DOD. Um, how do you catch up if you're just starting? Um, and and is, there, is there a catch up? You know, you have that in 401k where you can, <laughs> you can put in a little something extra to catch up, but can you do that when you're talking about cloud security? Well, you have to start looking for the, the quick wins, the things that are already public facing, the things that have less of an impact on the overall agency security posture. And then you have the bigger wins, uh, which require a lot more movement, like the commodity uh, processes, things like email, uh, productivity suites, mm -hmm. the bulk data that's going to be out there that you can't really say all of this is going to be very low risk or very high risk. It falls somewhere in the middle. And you just have to pull the Band-Aid off and start moving things. Just bite the bullet and get going. Mm -hmm. So that question that we uh, asked uh, Ned, I want to ask you as well, what do agencies need to consider before putting their their systems in the cloud? We talk about control and we talk about the fact that it's essentially absent. You don't see it necessarily, which suggests that it's absent, but it's there. But what do you do, what do you talk about before going to the cloud? So there's a wonderful FedRAMP repository of what systems have already been authorized. Um, the Joint Authorization Board, which is Department of Homeland Security, GSA, and DOD, uh, really do a fantastic job of giving their provisional authorizations so that you have a very good idea of how that data is being managed in the cloud. We have also at the NRC worked closely with other agencies that have sponsored FedRAMP authorizations, and we are aware of how they secure their data, how they treat their data, and we are comfortable moving our data to those environments because we know how those agencies are going to protect things. Go, sorry, go ahead. Uh, that also gives us the ability to focus more on our big requirements, getting the data to the cloud and making sure that our endpoints are secure because it's really difficult to move all your endpoints to the cloud and that's where we need to focus our activities. Andre. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I've always found interesting is that um, um, I, I've been a, uh, a huge proponent of uh, moving to the cloud as fast as possible uh, back to uh, about 2010 when we started with my previous agency. Uh, and we were the first ones to use Office 365 and, and really uh, started that, uh, you know, a lot of those trends. Uh, we talk about security in the cloud, but, but here's the reality. The, you know, the major exposures that we have from a security standpoint at the end of the day tend to come from four different items, right? One is, you know, phishing, human phishing, you know, password compromise. The second one is uh, lack of discipline in really um, patching systems and leaving holes open literally for years, okay? Uh, the third one is insider threats, right? Where you can have all the security in the world and then you give permissions to somebody who's a rogue agent and, and Snowden's gonna happen, right? 
um, and, and many others like that. And then the fourth one is a denial of service type of situation where, yeah, okay, your systems have not been compromised, but you can offer the functionality, right? And, uh, and as far as I'm concerned, you know, those uh, really represent the bulk of just about everything really bad that has happened. While the other incidents that we are looking for and constantly protecting about tend to represent a much smaller, uh, a much smaller environment. And so, and so the question becomes, uh, you know, are we focusing on the right things, right? Uh, you know, can every agency uh, afford a, a system like Akamai's Prolexa, for example? Uh, where you know they can scale to terabit uh, on denial of services before your services are affected, um, and the answer is probably not. And even if they could, is that a good use of money from the taxpayer standpoint? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I think that we need to focus uh, on really securing the access, let's say, by individuals. Uh, one of the things that we are doing is we're deploying a package that elevates uh, permissions and then immediately. Uh, discontinues them after uh, you know a certain period of time, right? So that no one individual at any time has access to all the services that they possibly need access yeah. to, right? Uh, and uh, and then scrutiny of our individuals internally. Um, the endpoint question is extremely important. That's, and we, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's a very interesting mm-hmm. point, and um, I'm going to come back to that mm-hmm. in just a few moments because. The attitudes of people that have access to systems and the discipline that you talked about. We want to get into that. I'm your moderator, JJ Green. On the panel discussion today, we're talking about cloud security. It's sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. And we'll be back with more of our discussion. McAfee is the device-to-cloud cybersecurity company. Inspired by the power of working together, McAfee creates government business solutions that make our world a safer place. By building solutions that work with other companies' products, McAfee helps businesses orchestrate cyber environments that are truly integrated, where protection, detection, and correction of threats happen simultaneously and collaboratively. By working with other security players, McAfee is leading the effort to unite against cyber criminals for the benefit of all. Visit McAfee.com slash public sector. Welcome back to the panel discussion, Innovation in Government, Cyber Leaders on Cloud Security, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guests today are Jonathan Fibus, CISO, Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Andre Mendez, CIO, International Trade Administration Bureau, Department of Commerce, Katie Lewin, Federal Director, Cloud Security Alliance, and Ned Miller. Public Sector Business Unit Sales Executive for MVision Cloud, McAfee. Before the break, we got into uh, some interesting um, dialogue regarding people and the role that people play in all of this because we talk about things that essentially support um, any kind of activity that the government or any agency is engaged in when it comes to security but none of it is completely automated. There is a process, a place for the human involved. And Andre, you mentioned you know, the activities and the engagement, uh, the way in which humans uh, do their work in this process. And Ned, I want to go to you first to ask you this question. We've heard for years from first the National Counterintelligence Executive, now from the National Counterintelligence and Security Center Directive, Director Bill Abenina about these things or these steps that need to be taken to make sure that people are doing the right thing uh, to protect their agency and organization from risk, but it still keeps happening. So how do you address that? What are your suggestions? So one of the key areas that we often talk about is the notion of insider threat, right? And what that really means. And it aligns to the concept around user behavior and how do we, provide a continuous monitoring capability for what our users are doing, what data they're accessing, why they're accessing that data, and how they're using the data. As we move to the cloud, the complexity of being able to do that has changed quite a bit over the course of the last four or five years. So now we have to look for ways in which we can help help our agency customers monitor their user behavior as the users are interacting with one another using simple tools like collaboration tools. So as an example, we have data that is now traversing cloud to cloud. How do we ensure that we know what the users are doing with that data? We're passing around very large PowerPoint files, 
Uh, we're passing around spreadsheets, proprietary data in some cases. And as a result of that, we need to have due care for that data set as it's in the cloud. It's a very different model. Think of it as data loss protection for the data that resides cloud to cloud. It's a whole new model that we have to look at from a threat vector standpoint. But I guess a more fundamental question, and I'll, anyone on the panel feel free to, to answer, jump in on this, and I'll, I'll, I'll get all of your responses. A more fundamental question though is, maybe not how many more procedures can you put in place or fail safes can you put in place, but how do you actually change the behavior or the thought process of those people who might be at risk for accidentally or purposely not, or doing the wrong thing when it comes to this. So from, from our perspective, from a pure technology viewpoint, uh, the systems now are actually um, cautioning the users on their behavior. So you set policies up that if a user is quote unquote out of guidelines or out of bounds, mm -hmm. there will an alert pop up on their screen and suggest that they change their behavior. Hey, so, don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> and that's being nice, right? So uh, my, my guests on the panel probably have some re relative experience here. I would say two things. Okay. One is um, because the generation that's coming up now that are really the majority of the users are much more cognizant of what, of privacy, of, you know, they live in an, an environment that I certainly wasn't brought up in, but they were. It's all automated. They know pretty much what they are entitled to and, and they try to keep their privacy and um, under wraps. So every, the Cloud Security Alliance has a conference every year in DC and we always have an, a segment on um, culture because there is a, a misunderstanding of what it means to have your data in the cloud. I would say that it's more secure than if you have your own data center under your desk, which happens a lot. Um, but in fact, that um, people have to understand what the cloud actually is, how your actions can be both monitored and protected. So a lot of it is education. And you're not going to be speaking to people who are going to say, what's an ATO? Because these people both who work in this environment are going to be more educated because that's the way they grew up. And what I hear from you is, the younger people that are coming into this system and right. situation now have been hearing this and yes. have been seeing this for a much longer period of time than we adults who had to make a sea change essentially in our careers. Let me go to Jonathan first and, and then to Andre. So I hear from people a lot that they just want to do their job and sometimes the technology, sometimes the cloud gets in their way. Um, and Katie is right, culture takes time. So we have a lot of uh, user education segments. We are trying to build awareness. Um, we have monthly, monthly sessions where we talk about cybersecurity issues, and not just about cybersecurity at work, but things that users may see at home and try to relate them all together. So if you're secure at home, you're more secure at work, and you understand why I can't copy this down to a thumb drive, or why maybe I shouldn't mail it to my personal email address. Mm -hmm. You're right, it comes down to the person and education is our best uh, tool at this point. We are pretty granular right now. I want to go back up to the 30,000 foot level, but Andre, I want to get your thoughts first. I want to hear what you have to say, but then I want to talk to you about the cybersecurity strategy um, point of view and what you think is necessary at this point. But first, uh, you had something to say about this. Well, actually, that was going to the 30,000 foot level. Take it there. Um, because uh, the biggest problem we have is resource uh, you know, availability, right? And so when we are dealing with, with a restricted number of resources, we need to make sure that we absolutely and completely focus on what is the value added for the specific agency, that being functionality or security or whatever other category you want to apportion it to, right? And so the reason why you know, the cloud environment makes so much sense is because effectively you build a continuous number of abstraction layers that you no longer have to worry about, right? And so even within the cloud, there are various ways in which you can implement cloud, uh, and some of them are even more advantageous than others. If you use infrastructure as a service, right, uh, you're going to find yourself still having to patch servers, to manage servers, and do all of those things that go on, except that the servers are now in the cloud, they're virtual environments, rather than being in your own uh, backyard, in the room next door, or as you mentioned, under somebody's desk that you don't even know about, 
right? So you have some degree of control over that because every single machine that is provisioned, you know exactly what it's doing, right? And you can monitor it. Uh, the, uh, but the other, the other fashion in which we are leveraging the crowd is with software as a service, which to me is immensely more powerful, right? Because then you totally and completely abstract everything else that is happening except the application itself, which is where you're going to derive the, uh, the value for your agency that allows it to fulfill its charter. No agency has been created to administer SQL servers. Not a single one of them, right? No agency has been uh, you know, created to, to administer patching onto you know, a virtual farm. Agencies have been created to do what they're supposed to do, and that is all at the application layer. So the moment that you're able to abstract all of that and focus on that and focus all your resources on that, you can do so much better job of bringing functionality to the table. You have so much more agility in, in delivering quick, uh, quick services to, your, to the taxpayers that it's beyond belief. You know, I've always found it interesting that people do you know, large-scale cost analysis, cost-benefit analysis for moving to the cloud. You know, I'm sorry, but you know, when you're looking at running the Le Mans and you have a Fiat 500 or a Ferrari, you're going to choose the Ferrari. Right. Okay? And so it, it's basically the same type of comparison. This is all about focus. This is all about using your resources properly and not wasting time with commodity items that somebody can do much better than you, much cheaper than you, and much more securely than you. And Ned, how do you roll that into a strategy? So there's three areas that uh, we try to provide stewardship to our customers with, respe with respect to uh, best practices around how to engage and accelerate into the cloud. One is to make sure that you've got a handle on what we consider shadow IT. So as Andre mentioned, it's very quickly, um, uh, customers are able to quickly adapt and acquire SaaS-based services. In some cases, that can be a runaway process. When we do audits on agencies, oftentimes we find that they have many more SaaS applications than what they thought under management. And how does that happen? It's uh, a scenario by which it's so easy for services to, uh, for uh, individuals to go out and acquire services that um, if there are not uh, ways to monitor sanctioned and unsanctioned services by an agency, uh, you have that shadow IT happening. Mm -hmm. um, the second area is um, what we often would refer to as the data protection model. And again, it's around these collaboration concepts where we're collaborating cloud to cloud and whose responsibility is it. So that shared res security responsibility uh, in and among and between clouds is an area that we see as a potential threat vector. And then finally, it's back to the human element that you spoke to before. We see a lot of configuration issues still um, at the personnel level that are setting up the systems in the first place. Uh, things like at a very granular level, leaving S3 buckets open, et cetera, that um, all of a sudden, everybody has access to the data that they didn't have intentions to do so. So, uh, from best practices standpoint, those are the three areas we're most concerned about. Jonathan, go ahead. Go ahead. And using those additional services like cloud security brokers, I can keep track of who's using what commodity services. I can clamp down a little bit further to make sure we don't get that rogue IT, and we can further leverage the economies of scale in the cloud to get that automation in place that allows us to focus on these small but very important products mm -hmm. to make sure our users are behaving the way they need to behave with our data and that the system is doing what it needs to do. So I can take my resources that are very expensive for cybersecurity and I can focus them where they will do the most good for protecting the agency mission. Several so years, go ahead. Oh, so JJ, I was just going to say, when I'm here for the Cloud Security Alliance, so I, I would like to mention them, and it, it's free, it's a free service, and they have great research. So if you want to, if you're coming in, not as the CIO, because obviously you have a, a, a strategy and a plan, but if you're a new security professional, and your boss wants you to explore, let's say, putting um, a function in the cloud that's key to your agency, one of the places you can go is to cloudsecurityalliance.org. We have Tons of research. It's free. Anyone can get to it. But they have papers that are that say, "What should I look at first? You know. So there are ways besides um, relying on your contractor, who is going to recommend a solution that may be beneficial to both of you. There is a, a vendor neutral area 
Cloud Security Alliance being one, that you can start your education to say what are the first steps to go. All right. So what I'd like to do now is to ask you a question that I'm sure none of you were expecting today, but I'm going to ask you anyway because I, I got a feeling that this could be a, a, a very productive question. Uh, and I'm going to start uh, with you, Andre. Um, <laughs> you are on the cutting edge of uh, a lot of things and have uh, been for a while considering where you've worked and where, you're, where you are now and where you're going. What's the worst problem that anybody engaging in uh, a plan or a strategy right now uh, to uh, nail down their, 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 their cloud uh, to put the kind of security in place uh, that they need. What's the worst problem, that the, the most difficult problem they're going to face today? Because we know the goalposts keep moving because of the adversaries now. So what's the most difficult problem? Um, I think that if you achieve a, uh, a successful cloud strategy where you effectively outsource a lot of your security to cloud-based vendors that have been certified, uh, you are left with uh, what is, uh, you know, the weak link in all of this, which is the stuff that you actually implement yourself. And inv invariably, that ends up at the endpoint protection, right? Uh, the endpoint protection, it being, you know, desktops or laptops or tablets that are floating throughout the world. You know, in, in the case of the ITA, you know, we literally have installations everywhere, you know, especially, you know, in the dens of... Uh, of, uh, you know, of the worst cyber criminals in the world, even places like China and Russia and so on and so forth, because we do trade with them. Uh, and also in the cell phones that have now, of course, become so ubiquitous as tools of, of business and in which a lot of this data also transacts, right? And so we want to take advantage of all those abstraction layers we talked about and focus almost all of our intensity on the endpoint security, right? and on the way to ensure that those particular uh, you know, places are absolutely protected, right? Uh, and that they're doing so on a proactive basis. And, you know, and there are a substantial number of tools out there right now that actually have become incredibly uh, effective of doing so, uh, almost uh, creating a situation where you have a, um, um, a, a firewall you know, totally built inside of your endpoint uh, that, uh, that mimics uh, the, uh, the TIC uh, environment uh, that is available out there for, for agencies to connect through, mm -hmm. and that really take you to the next level. Um, I want to go further in terms of the consolidation and actually create an environment where two, three years from now, uh, nobody in our agency actually has desktop computers. They all have cell phones that plug into uh, a, um, a uh, you know, a, uh, an environment at work where they can have the, the, the large charge displays and everything else. But now all of a sudden, I'm narrowing and narrowing and narrowing the field of protection that I need to provide into one set of tools, one set of instruments, right? And I can focus to the utmost on that and really achieve a very high level of security from an endpoint, endpoint uh, you know, uh, standpoint because I am entirely completely focused on that and I can have a very, very disciplined and managed environment. Well, you certainly know how to make provocative statements near the end of a segment. No but I'm going to ask you right now, since you did that, everybody with a cell phone, do you know what this means? You, you, th these are big. Uh -huh. And how big is this cell phone going to be? No, it's I mean, the same size. It's the same size because so, you plug it into a cradle yeah, and then you have your, your, your keyboard. I understand. I'm talking about productivity. I have a hard time with the cell phone because of that. So That's because we're old, JJ. Fine. <coughs> but are you, you going to go hire all nine-year-olds to do this? But quite honestly, I mean, you look at, at my trade representatives throughout the entire world. They, they, they don't want desktops. Gotcha. They at most want tablets, gotcha. but that's as far as they're going to go. I'm your moderator, J.J. Green, on the panel discussion, Innovation in Government, Cyber Leaders on Cloud Security, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. McAfee is the device-to-cloud cybersecurity company. Inspired by the power of working together, McAfee creates government business solutions that make our world a safer place. By building solutions that work with other companies' products, McAfee helps businesses orchestrate cyber environments that are truly integrated, where protection, detection, and correction of threats happen simultaneously and collaboratively. By working with other security players, McAfee is leading the effort to unite against cyber criminals for the benefit of all. Visit McAfee.com slash public 
Welcome back to the panel discussion, Innovation in Government, Cyber Leaders on Cloud Security, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. But again, before we went to break, Andre came up with a provocative uh, point, and that was everybody get rid of your desktops and laptops and we all go to mobile, small type devices to use uh, in the execution of your daily duties. Uh, Ned, I see you chomping at the bit to talk about that. Thoughts? Yes, so I concur with Andre. I think it's a, um, a movement that's been underway for quite some time. Um, from McAfee's perspective as an example, we talk about security from a device to cloud strategy, mm -hmm. and our customers have to think about their overall cybersecurity strategy in that um, vein where the device can be anything uh, going forward. Um, mm -hmm. So I suspect that, like Andre, the uh, workforce of the future will be accustomed to working uh, anywhere, anytime, anyplace, and as a result, the form factor of those devices will substantially change, um, be much oh. more portable with plug and play, and for those of us that are accustomed to keyboards, we'll have, we'll have keyboards that'll plug into those smaller foot, footprint devices. Or have large fingers. Or and have large you, fingers. You bring up a good point, though, um, the, 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 the way in which these devices are structured and utilized in the future will likely change as well, making yes. it much easier. Jonathan, you wanted to chime in. Yeah, mobility is a core tenet of our program. We're trying to get people to be able to work wherever, whenever, however, with whomever. And the important thing there is we don't want to have multiple devices because with multiple devices, I've got some data here, some data there. Using the cloud, it's all in one place. It's much easier to get to and if I have a way that I can plug my phone or my tablet or whatever device I have that hasn't been invented yet into a large display, I can collaborate with my whole team. Uh, plugging it into a mobility network, which the phones and tablets are already part of, allows me to collaborate with my whole team wherever they are. So I think we're going to see fewer and smaller devices with more uh, accessories that allow us to not have to worry about the size of our fingers. So this gets back to the culture idea and mm -hmm. also people who are younger being more agile with those kinds of things so you know um, working at home was such a novel idea when I was coming up but now everybody does it I mean you go to the office maybe depending upon where you work several times a week several times a month um, I've worked at places where my boss was in Florida and I saw him like once a year it's totally different than what it used to be when I started uh, so I think that culture is going to also make this a more acceptable idea to your, really your clients, who are the people who are looking to you to set up an infrastructure in which they can do their jobs. And I wanted to bring something else up. You asked about what's the worst thing. You were talking about, what, yeah. well, in my mind, the worst thing is continuous monitoring. And my, my feeling is we have not mastered that at all. I mean, it's a great idea. It's something that I think is the sort of the end point to secure to ensuring security. But my feeling and my um, opinion is that agencies and even cloud service providers have not really mastered how to not only collect that data but report it to their clients in a meaningful way that is timely, can be addressed, and yet doesn't you know sully their reputation and and be a problem for the cloud service provider, but yet addresses um, the issues that come up. We talked about this particular issue on one of our previous panels, mm -hmm. um, but I'm interested in hearing from you why you think this hasn't caught on as well as you think it should. <laughs> I mean, I, I think there are two reasons. One is the data reporting, at least, and I haven't looked at stuff for a while, but the data reporting I don't think is in a format or in a mode or um, in a way that gives it the right level of urgency. So there are lots of things that happen that could be called breaches or intrusions. Not all of them are fire drills. So I think that there is a problem in the way the data is conveyed to the people who have to act on it, number one. And I also think that um, agencies are not trained perhaps to look at that data in, in, as levels of information. I mean, that's one thing that I think is a problem. I'll play counterpoint uh, to that, if you will. Yeah. So 
slightly different perspective. So we're a cloud service provider and we are heavily invested in FedRAMP. Mm -hmm. As a result, we have to provide continuous monitoring as part of being FedRAMP accredited. And as a result, we've become very proficient at the reporting and the uh, indicator of compromise sharing with customers when it happens, if it happens, et cetera. I think automation has taken a key play um, which allows us to um, be much more proactive than what we ever have been when the agencies were doing it themselves. So back to the whole FedRAMP program and the automation that's required for us to maintain our compliance there, that's changed the landscape incredibly. Mm -hmm. Plus the number of tools that have come out that allow us to automate and script a lot of the former manual processes that were Mm -hmm. involved in certification and accreditation. We now skip right ahead to the to the end result, and we've got really good filters to reduce the level of noise to the point that when we have a situation and we let our customers know, it's something to be concerned with. So from, from our perspective, uh-huh. um, as we've shifted the burden of responsibility from the agency to the cloud service provider, right. the FedRAMP program's working. Mm-hmm. It really is. And Interesting. I would, I would say that there's a little bit of a difference been from my perspective, because I know that the cloud service providers are doing continuous monitoring of the entire instantiation of the cloud service. They've recently, and in some cases not so re- for a while, have been providing me the data that I need for my uh, continuous monitoring as well. So it seems like a two-stage process. And I would say that I agree, FedRAMP has definitely done a lot to, mm-hmm. to make that mature in a short period of time. Andre. Oh, um, and I think this brings a couple of these issues together. Continuous monitoring is an excellent concept, right? Because uh, you know you have to make sure that you're looking at your environment on a constant basis and really figure out what's going on there. But the problem is, at what interval? And when you talk about at what interval, you get into resources again, right? Do you look at it every month, every week, every day, every hour, every minute, every second? And the moment that you get it reduced to, I don't care if you tell me a week from yesterday, a week from today, that I'm being breached right now. It doesn't matter, right? And so more and more, with the number of endpoints multiplying, with the amount of data growing exponentially, or actually, you know, probably double exponentially, uh, with all of that multiplying, it is almost, uh, you know, inevitable. It's inexorable uh, that artificial intelligence would actually be the, uh, the answer to this, right? Because it's the only way that you're actually going to do constant monitoring. It's the only way that you're going to monitor all of those interactions. Uh, especially because, you know, as the technology continues to evolve at a, a, you know, a rapid and ever-accelerating pace, right? All of the concepts of how we do business today might seem awfully antiquated and quaint, you know, not 30 years from now, but five years from now. That's how fast it's going, right? So I found it interesting that one of the first things that everybody you know, talked about when we talked about going to the, to the, uh, to the uh, phone, right, is but how do we get to see it and the size of your thumbs and everything, right? Uh, you know, that's not going to happen in a vacuum. What's going what's to happen is you're going to have retinal displays. Mm-hmm. You're going to have you know, uh, wet interfaces into your brain uh, you know, that basically allow you to not have to type uh, right. so that you're interfacing with cloud-based resources from a neuronal standpoint and that that data is going to be displayed in a retinal display with multiple depth of perception and everything else, uh, where you know, all of the things that we do today become just totally and completely um, antiquated uh, and, and no longer relevant. So, you know, and invariably, we are you know, uh, very short-sighted when it comes to technology. Mm-hmm. Right? At first, we tend to over, uh, overestimate what it can bring to the table. But in the long term, we actually underestimate what it brings to the table. And so what you're going to see is a total and complete transformation in the way that we do business and the way we interface with data, computers, applications, and everything else. Uh, and it will require a whole different set of protocols, a whole different set of security standards, a whole different set of, uh, of education um, that today um, is just not, not okay. there yet. But we got to look at that as the end point, the inexorable end point. The adaptation to that and the adoption of those practices and, and policies and the technologies that's coming out. Is that going to take place just as quickly as everything else is speeding up? The pace of change going to take care of that? Or is that going to require a different um, treatment? Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's all driven by necessity, right? I mean, so a- adaptation is driven by 
the old Darwinian principle of, uh, you know, um, I'm sorry, adoption, uh, no, a, 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 adaptation, absolutely, absolutely right, and evolution, right? And evolution requires evolutionary pressures, right? So as companies adopt this circumstance and visionaries adopt these circumstances, right, people who do not will fall behind very, very quickly. That is the history of three, million, three billion years of evolution. It's not going to stop now, and it's going to continue to accelerate. And so uh, we, you know, it's, uh, we, can, we can have philosophical discussions about whether it should happen, all right? But the reality is the evolution has always been ruthless, right? It has always been sometimes, uh, you know, uh, uh, difficult to adapt to. But those that fail to adapt also fail to survive. Mm -hmm. And so this is going to be true in business. Okay. Uh, you know, it, is, it is becoming true in business today yeah. when you think about all the way that people are leveraging these technologies. And the fact that the, you know, if you look at the five, six, seven major companies throughout the entire world, they didn't exist 25 years ago. Okay. That's interesting, as always. Thank you. Um, before our time expires, I want to talk about a few best practices and uh, a few items uh, with an eye towards the future, and I'll start with you, Jonathan. What do you think are the best ways that cloud service providers can work together uh, to ensure systems and data are secured, uh, given this move to the cloud? So from a government perspective, um, giving me predictability in what services will be available to me and how those services will be secured, um, the FedRAMP framework gives me a lot of uh, security and a, a comfortable feeling that my data is going to be handled appropriately. And knowing that there are different security levels of FedRAMP, it makes me know that I can tailor controls or send my data someplace where it gets extra attention as needed. Uh, continuous monitoring data as the reporting improves uh, and it will continue to improve over time uh, gives me great uh, comfort that there won't be breaches or that I will be prepared to handle those breaches before they occur. And the fact that I'm able to better uh, focus on my endpoints, my end users, and work them through the changes that are going to come to their working environment mm -hmm. so that I can focus my security staff on getting the data to the cloud, protecting it on the endpoints, and ensuring it's available for everyone to get their work done. Ned, focusing on that question, Climb up and take a peek over the horizon and take a look at what you see and answer that question in that context. Sure, I think you'll see a, a broader intersection of threat intelligence data coming together to formulate more of a predictive analytics capability, leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning. There'll be more collaboration across the vendor industry as the CSA does today, which will allow us to get more out in front of the problems so that we can telegraph to customers areas to look forward to um, before breaches are actually happening. So I think you'll see more crowdsourcing of data, uh, leveraging of automation, AI, threat intelligence. There'll be a lot more automation in terms of our predictive ability of being able to mitigate some of the risks as they come, come forward. And you'll start to see that over the, the course of uh, 2020. Just a quick detour, just for a brief answer. Trusting the machines that are going to be engaging in the AI, how do you how do you write that script? Personal belief is that we have to be cautious in terms of overinvesting in our belief that that will be the sole way that we're going to achieve the outcome that we're looking for, because our adversaries are also using those technologies mm -hmm. in a very different vein. Right. So, um, cautionary note but it is the wave of the future. We will have to create new defenses to be able to um, uh, combat against the adversaries that are also using that kind of capability. Okay, Katie, your view, the future. CSPs and agencies working together um, over the horizon, the out years, what do you see? Well, I think we've made a lot of progress and thanks everyone for the FedRAM praise because I do think that was a good platform for agencies and cloud service providers to work together. But when we started this whole thing of FedRAMP, we got a bunch of cloud service providers together. And the two problems that they came up with, which really surprised me, were interoperability and portability. And those are still bugaboos, issues, um, challenges that need to be worked on and among that community of cloud service providers and 
agencies. I don't have the solution for that, but I think that we have started in stuff that maybe was easier. So now um, they're gonna tackle the two things that have really been obstacles since the very beginning. So I think that's what's gonna be worked on next. In terms of the um, technologies of the future, everyone you know likes the next bright, shiny objects, which are artificial intelligence and blockchain. So Cloud Security Alliance is getting into that in terms of research. I think, um, like you said, it's not, neither of those is the silver bullet that's going to solve everything. But I do think that those are the two things that are basically going to come up in the, let's say, um, near to middle future. Okay. Andre, just a few thoughts quickly before we close on that. Um, I think that, uh, you know, to look to the future, it does as well to look to the past uh, and, uh, and specifically to uh, evolutionary uh, theory. And uh, what you're going to see is a total and complete uh, adoption of abstraction layers at every single uh, part of the technology stack until we are only strictly focused on the highest level. Uh, that we need in order to do our job. We no longer think about the mitochondria that exist in our cells and that powered what we do as human beings, okay? We stopped thinking about that a long, long time ago, right? What we think about is neuronal activity. So artificial mm -hmm. intelligence is going to come to the forefront. It's going to provide us with, the, with, the, with some uh, security by virtue of pattern recognition and so on and so forth. The challenges will be enormous. Right. Uh, you're going to see us adopting to mimetism, but we are going to continue to evolve, and that's the only truth. All right, thank you. Great conversation panel. I'd like to thank today's guest, Jonathan Feinbus, CISO at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Andre Mendez, CIO at the International Trade Administration Bureau, Department of Commerce, Katie Lewin, Federal Director, Cloud Security Alliance, and Ned Miller, Public Sector Business Unit Sales Executive for MVision Cloud at McAfee. I'm your moderator, JJ Green, and you're listening to Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com, search cyber leaders. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, Innovation in Government, Cyber Leaders on Cloud Security, sponsored by Carasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.